Awaken podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, hi, friends. I'm Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. Uh, welcome today. Uh, we are glad for a time to have some sort of connection via a podcast. Um, and if you are listening to this in the morning at 11 o'clock, uh, you can head over to Awaken West 7th's Facebook page for some Facebook Live, uh, our little Good Morning Awaken project that we're doing where we can have some conversation uh, about the sermon uh, or anything else. Um, so we would love to have you tune into that. Uh, for those of you who may have noticed that we don't have a video this week, um, that happened. So it's just audio. You are not missing anything. Uh, but next week, it should be available again. Just wanted to let you know you're not crazy. Um, and one thing uh, to note before I invite Mandy up to teach our kids and us, uh, a huge thank you to those of you who brought donations yesterday. Um, Annie Berglund and Mike Vangsted are making sure those donations get to various community locations. Um, that need them. So we had a great turnout. And for those of you um, who didn't get to do that or who would want to participate again, that will be happening again. So we're um, doing that the first and third Tuesdays of the month from noon to five o'clock here at Awaken. Um, so the next one will be August 4th. Uh, if you need any more information, you can find that on the website or in the Awaken Weekly. Uh, so with that, my friend Mandy Taylor. Good morning, kids. My name is Mandy Taylor. I'm the Kids Community Director here at Awaken. Before I begin, just a quick reminder to whoever you're doing church with that you can feel free to pause after questions in order to have conversation and answer questions or ask more questions. When we're in person at church, most of our learning time is spent with back and forth interaction between us teachers and the kids, so, that I so I highly encourage that that happens in your home during this time. And what I have to say can also be for adult conversation, even if you don't have kids in your listening group, you'll want to hear this. Today I want to start by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. When you hear the word comfort, what do you think of? Who do you think of? Some of you may have said a special stuffed animal or blankie, Maybe you said your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. Maybe you find comfort in being all snuggled up in your bed, or maybe comfort is being with your friend. Now that you've named your comforters, how do your special comforters make you feel better? When you were talking about a comforter, did anyone say God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit when you thought about comfort or who your comforter is? It can be hard for us to always think of God as comfort because we can't see him or feel him hold us. We sometimes might even wonder why he doesn't feel closer when something hard or bad happens to us or the people around us. I know I have that feeling sometimes, and I ask the question, where are you, God? Why didn't you stop that or make that better? 
You know what usually happens when I talk to God like that? Actually, he shows up. Whether I pray in thankfulness and gratitude to God or tell him I just want to see him or I need him to be close because he feels so far away, he shows up. He shows up because he knows me and he knows you. He created us. He knows everything about us. In order to feel his presence, though, we also need to be present with him and talk to him. You might say, I do try talking to God and I still don't hear or feel God or the Holy Spirit. You know what? Sometimes he shows up in ways we don't expect. For example, when I was little, my mom sometimes had to go to the hospital as she worked through her depression. She was sometimes gone for weeks at a time. Not having my mom around was hard. But when I think back to that time, I think of all the comfort I received in so many ways through friends, neighbors, families from church, my dad, my siblings. And ultimately, I now know that all of that comfort came from God. He knew exactly where I was and what I needed. He was my comfort, but given in so many ways that I could actually see, touch, feel, and understand. Through the people around me, I felt God's comfort. Think of a hard situation that you've recently had. How did you feel comforted? Or did you feel comforted? In what way did you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, God, or Jesus? Did you recognize those comforters as God? Hard things have happened and will continue to happen. People get sick, friends move away, we or the people around us aren't treated fairly, and the list goes on. We don't always know why suffering or hard things happen, but we do know that God has given us the Holy Spirit to always be present, always be near, always be willing to find us even when we can't find Him. God promises to love and care for us at all times, and that is why we know that we can do hard things or get through tricky situations. Also, we can be a comforter or a helper to those around us who are trying to find God in hard situations. If we are praying and connecting with God, we can see his comfort to us as well as give his comfort when we see others who need it. You might be wondering, but how do I connect with God when I'm feeling sad, lonely, frustrated, confused? One way to connect with God during a time when you don't understand why something is happening is to pray or talk to God through something we call a prayer of lament. Lament is a time where we talk to God in sadness. We tell him how we truly feel. We don't need to sugarcoat our feelings around God. He can handle it, and he wants to hear how we truly feel, just like our family or our best friend wants to hear the truth, right? So does God. In that prayer of lament, God will show up, whether we see it right away or maybe later. Some of you may remember learning a prayer of lament a couple months ago. It was in one of the kids' community resources that was sent out in the Awaken Weekly. But in case you didn't get to learn it then, I'm going to quickly teach you a very simple way to lament. And for future reference parents, this is also posted on the kids' community Instagram page. So when you're feeling sad or frustrated, lonely or confused, try this prayer to connect with God. Start by telling God what's going on, whether it's something in the world that is happening or just something around you or inside of you. Then tell him how it makes you feel. 
after you tell him how you feel, remind yourself what you know to be true about God. Maybe even remember the verse that I shared at the beginning, or find a verse that reminds you of God's compassion and comfort. Next, because of what you know about God, what will you do? Allow the Holy Spirit to sit with you and think through what can you do. And then you can simply end your prayer of lament with, Oh God, please, and tell him what you want or need or ask him to just comfort you. When you're done doing your prayer, you might want to paint or color, dance, sing, go for a walk, or show comfort to someone else. Whatever's going to allow you to sit in the thoughts that you just told to God and ponder those truths about God and those feelings, and then wait and see how God shows up. As usual, I have a couple of good kids' books that would be a great addition to your library. One of them is called Maybe God is Like That Too, written by Jennifer Grant and illustrated by Benjamin Shipper. And another one is one I'm actually going to read a couple pages from, and it's called God's Paintbrush by Sandy Eisenberg Sasso. This book is all about the ways God comforts or helps us and also has a great thoughtful question on each page to help you wonder and imagine about God. And it's so beautifully illustrated by Annette Compton. Again, it's called God's Paintbrush. And I'm just going to read two different sections of the book. Sometimes I think God is just like my dad when he holds the back seat of my new two-wheel bicycle just long enough for me to catch my balance. Then he lets go and I ride all by myself but it's nice to know he's running right alongside with me. Sometimes I think God is just like my mom when she helps me look both ways crossing the street and then lets me go all by myself. But it's nice to know she's still watching me at the corner. And then a little farther back in the book. In September, a new boy came to school. During recess, nobody picked him for the soccer team. At lunch, he ate all by himself. What I remember most about him were his eyes. They looked sad. My teacher had us all do a mural one day. The new boy helped me draw a lion. He is a great artist. Maybe we will be friends. My teacher watched us working together. What I remember most about my teacher were her eyes. They looked happy. I wonder if God has eyes. If so, they must be just like my teacher's. They see when people are sad or happy. Can you see when you are sad or happy and tell God about those times and then experience his comfort? Or can you see when other people's eyes are sad and think about how you can be a comfort to someone else? Think about these things this week and share your experiences with those around you. Where are you seeing God's comfort? To you or to those around you? How are you a part of it? How might it look a little different than what you expected? We're going to sing the kids' blessing song now. Kids, our prayer truly is sung in these words each week. We pray that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear all that is good. May God give you eyes to see all that Courage for anything May you be 
tired So tired from walking And Lord, I'm so alone Lord, the dark is creeping in Is creeping up to swallow me I think I'll stop Rest here a while And this is all that I can say right now And this is all that I can give And this is all that I can say right now This is all that I can give That's my everything Lord, didn't you see me crying?
well, uh, we are just going to dive right into it. This morning we are continuing in a series uh, that we usually do in the summers, Lost in Translation, where we look at maybe hard to understand, often misinterpreted, and sometimes just weird passages uh, in the Bible and try to make sense of what God might be saying through it. Uh, and I will say there is no shortage of complexity this week, and I am, I'm going for it. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to the book of Job. Uh, we are in chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, and please stand, if you are able, for the reading of the word. Now the day came when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan arrived among them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roving about on the earth and from walking back and forth across it. So the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, is it for nothing that Job fears God? Have you not made a hedge around him and his household and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his livestock have increased in his land. But extend your hand and strike everything he has, and he will no doubt curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, All right then, everything he has is in your power. Only do not extend your hand against the man himself. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, for eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, what you might be saying to us this morning through this text uh, that has maybe stirred some things in some of us. Um, would you help me to be faithful? Um, and anything that is untrue, God, would you let it fall away? Um, be with us this morning and speak. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, if you have ever wondered what a conversation between God and Satan looks like, uh, look no further. <laughs> I will say uh, that this passage is chock full of tension, or maybe said differently, possibility for where we go this morning, which uh, I think is fun. Uh, what is also true is that I am going to skip over so many things that are really worth noting, but... You know, that's just the nature of the text this morning. Um, when it comes to interpretation of the book of Job, what it means, what it's saying, you would be hard-pressed to find a book of the Bible with more variety, diversity, variance in the work of interpretation. Uh, maybe Genesis or Revelation parallels it, uh, but the book of Job is hitting on major questions that humans have had since the beginning of humanity. So here's how the story goes, just a quick summary. There was a man named Job who was blessed uh, materially, in family, in faith. He was a pious man, um, upright and blameless in our text. Uh, God names him that. He's a good and benevolent person. 
And what happens after this conversation that we read is Job loses everything. All of his wealth, his 10 kids die, he loses his health, thing after thing after thing. Job's three friends then join him in in what uh, is sitting Shiva. This is actually where the Jewish tradition around grieving was birthed from the book of Job, uh, where they go on to debate for 30-some chapters about why Job is suffering the way he is. And they have all sorts of answers for him. And Job will not let up on his defense of himself. He argues he did nothing wrong to deserve this. He is a righteous man. And it finally ends with a confrontation between Job and God. Excuse me, Job, that, that is hard to say. Job and God. <laughs> Job and God. Uh, where Job is seemingly put in his place, one could say, and God blesses him double. What is so complex about this book and why there's so much diversity and variance of interpretation is because of the themes and questions it raises. Questions about the nature of suffering and evil. Questions about how the spiritual world and the physical world relate. Themes of what it means to have faith. Questions about the nature, justice, and sovereignty of God. And these are just age-old, huge, enormous questions that humanity has been asking in every culture, in every tradition, for as long as we have existed. So, in the next 30 minutes, I will attempt to resolve these things for you. Uh, You might want to take some notes, because you are about to get some, some answers here, which is... Not true. I'm going to do my best. (laughs) Um, But if you were with us this past weekend, either for Good Morning Awaken uh, or listen to the sermon, we talked a lot about the Bible, how we read the Bible, which inevitably is this question, uh, this idea that keeps coming up in this series for us. Um, So with my background, not to overstate it, I know I say it almost every time I teach, but it's, it's worth saying again for those of you who maybe haven't heard that, but I grew up evangelical Christian, which means historically I've read these particular verses about God and Satan in a certain way. And it went a little like this. The main point is that God is totally and completely sovereign over all things, spiritual and physical, Um, Satan is a personified being that has a certain amount of agency and influence in the world, but ultimately it's God that is in control. And what these verses are telling us is is primarily to communicate that reality that God is sovereign and and can do whatever God wants to do. Um, But it's also to describe how the spiritual realm functions, especially in terms of suffering. And so there are these spiritual beings and hierarchies, some good, some evil, uh, that interact with one another and the created world, and God is letting some things happen and preventing other things. And in Job's case, this was a test to see how faithful he would be to God. Satan seems to think that uh, Job's faithfulness is just a product of a cushioned life, but God seems to think Job will remain faithful. So God allows Satan to have at Job 
and do whatever, God, what, do whatever he pleases, sans taking his life away. And our takeaway as true Christians and faithful readers of the Bible is that our suffering too is a product of God allowing Satan to have access in our lives, whether it was of our own doing or not. But the point is, is God is sovereign and has God's reasons of which we are not privy to. And if we are just faithful uh, through bouts of suffering, we will be blessed with a double portion. Any questions? So here is the deal. For some, that interpretation, that understanding is sufficient. It, it's maybe even comforting, um, and, and it makes sense. And if that is true for you, that's okay. Um, to keep listening to what I'm about to say might uh, seem unnecessary. And my guess is for others, a passage like this, a book like Job, evokes all sorts of things in you. Questions and emotion, frustration, hope, fear, anger, skepticism, fill in the blank. Uh, And I felt that too. And most of that, for me at least, has to do with the picture of God uh, that's depicted in the book of Job, um, who this God is. And so that is actually some of what I want to unpack today and and go in that lane. Uh, First, what I will say, um, with this passage, some of what I reacted to at least and some of what I would imagine others have, God is the one who creates Job's suffering. God is the one that hears about Satan's intent and suggests, what about Job? Offering up this innocent person to Hasatan, that's the Hebrew, uh, translated accuser or opposer, but God is the agent behind Job's loss and suffering. And what we're tapping into is a centuries-old debate around God's sovereignty, which I am not going to go into. It's more that I'm maybe just showing my cards, which is why I take issue with the things that I, that I do in this passage. Uh, it is as if God is daring Satan for the sake of God's self. He says, have, have you considered Job? Uh, Later in chapter 2, Satan asks God if he can harm Job physically now. Um, And God says, very well, he's in your power, only spare his life. And our reaction to God being merciful and saying, you just can't kill him, like, is that supposed to feel reassuring? Am I supposed to feel good about a God that allows unwarranted devastation in a life but will spare the breath in our lungs? Like, I just have a visceral reaction to that. It calls into question my understanding of who God is, who I know God to be, which is good and loving and trustworthy and just. I've experienced God as all of those things. That's a picture of God we get in scripture. So what on earth are you supposed to do with this God in the book of Job that offers up a faithful human life for the sake of what? 
ego, amusement, power? What is good about that? If we were to put this in, in human terms, if, if you were to see a parent act like that to a child, we would call CPS. It is a deeply problematic picture of God if the primary understanding we have of God is love. What is loving about this? To be used as a pawn in a dare? Second, it's as if God is not following God's own rules about justice. The book carries on. Uh, We go from these first two chapters of narrative into poetry. And so Job is with his three friends who are all attempting to answer this question about why Job is suffering. So if you were to read what they're saying, you might maybe even experience some camaraderie with Job. We've probably all been in those conversations with friends um, who care and who really want to fix it and whose words aren't super helpful. But here's the deal. In in Job's case, Job's friends are well within their theological right to say what they're saying, that God is punishing Job for his sin. That is a common biblical understanding based on various traditions and understandings of suffering at the time. This idea that if you do right, you get blessed, and if you sin, you suffer. So for Job, in his friends' minds, there must be sin in his life, some sort of wrongdoing to warrant this kind of punishment. Nothing they say is heretical or wrong based on their own understandings of God. The people's companion to the Bible says this, when Job was wealthy, he demonstrated empathy for women and the poor. And now Job expects God to treat him as he treats others in need by being benevolent, paternal, and just. He and his friends seem to expect God to react to Job's benevolence. But doesn't God follow God's own justice by treating Job as God wishes to be treated by him? So kind of a more primitive version of of the golden rule. But that apparently isn't the case. It seems like God doesn't have to follow God's own rules because he's causing this suffering in a righteous person's life. And as someone that is annoyingly principled and concerned with integrity because of my understanding of God, the idea that God is just off the hook, despite what's expected of me, and how I try to treat people based on that understanding of God, it just feels super messed up. That's a theological term they taught us in seminary, messed up. But when my understanding of the nature and character of God, which includes a kind of justice, a right ordering that creates equity in the world, when that is the thing that helps me and guides me both in how I love God and my neighbor. When we see God acting in a way that contradicts that, it feels incredibly disorienting. It feels like the hypocrisy Jesus calls out in the New Testament is a hypocrisy found in God in moments like this one. And probably 
the most frustrating thing is not even found in the passage this morning. It, it, it's how the book closes. So chapters 38 to 42, it's the, the closing of this poetry section, returning to the narrative, but it, it's this interaction between Job and God. So he's been going in circles with his friends, and finally, God breaks in to weigh in on this question that Job is asking, why am I suffering? What did I do to deserve this? Normally, we read these words as like a slam dunk rebuke of Job that puts him in his place. God says, you know, where were you when the heavens were formed? And the discourse goes on uh, to describe the wildness and complexity of nature, and God identifies God's self with that wild and complex nature. Uh, and Job, you know, responds, and then God doubles down uh, with, his, with his justification. And the narrative continues on with Job uh, humbling himself and receiving a double portion of blessing, uh, happily ever after. But ultimately, God avoided the question. Pete ends uh, very providentially, ironically, uh, had a podcast this past week on the book of Job. Um, so I'd highly encourage uh, checking that out. Um, he says that God is filibustering, uh, which I thought was sort of a funny, funny image. And yet, in, in God's speech to Job, answering this question, why am I suffering? It's really the divine version of the parental, because I said so, or I said what I said. And I don't know, you maybe think it's unreasonable of me, uh, or I'm overstating all of this, uh, to assume or, or even think it's a valid expectation that God has to answer for what happened to Job, especially with that, you know, crystal clear explanation uh, in our text this morning of, of why Job is suffering. I don't know, maybe it is unreasonable. Maybe it is just my pride. I mean, there is a piece, yes, God is God, and, and I'm limited in my ability to understand everything, and I don't expect understanding. Uh, I, I don't expect to understand everything, but we are in a day and age where the powerful don't get to silence those who are suffering anymore. So when it comes to the work of interpretation, uh, when it comes to contextualizing the scriptures for the reality that we are in, um, which is the beauty of scripture, is that it, it keeps speaking in, into varying realities, we have to push back on the dodging of the question in the name of, I have authority to do it, even when it's God. And when push comes to shove, I have very little interest in a God that functions like that, that dangles me or anyone else in front of evil and suffering and says, have at it, Satan. I'm not worried about it. They won't leave me. That sounds like an abusive relationship, and that is not the God I know. That is not the picture that Jesus paints as the exact representation of God, Hebrews 1.3. The way the divine engages evil, suffering, and death in Christ is at odds 
with this kind of understanding of God in the book of Job. Because that God enters it and takes it on and is far from cavalier and apathetic. That kind of God brings comfort amidst the suffering like Mandy talked about. So what are we supposed to do with all of this? What are we supposed to do with a God in the book of Job that's portrayed as a tyrant yet is declared just? And I'd like to suggest there is so much more happening here. And the key is really this question we keep asking in this series, how is this text functioning when we as readers engage it? In many ways, if if we fall in the camp of those who are unsettled about a passage like this in the Bible, the book of Job leaves us without an answer that feels satisfactory. I will be honest, I did a lot of reading, a lot of studying for this kind of passage, as, as I should. And there were very few commentaries uh, that I walked away from feeling like, oh, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, but that's sort of the point. Isn't that true of the mystery of suffering? that we might not be satisfied by an answer. And when you put the book of Job, what's being said, the questions being brought up, even the picture of God that is painted, against a backdrop of theological assumptions of the day, of blessing being connected to faithfulness and suffering being connected to sin and punishment, Job blows that idea up completely. Whatever assumptions we had about suffering and it inherently being connected to someone's wrongdoing cannot stand up. We see this later in the New Testament with Jesus grinding away at this idea, this transactional if-then understanding of the world, of reality, of God, of humanity, of justice, of suffering. Even the God of Job sides with Job. He agrees that his friends were in the wrong and making wrong accusations about him suffering because of his own wrongdoing. And so what if the book of Job more seeks to serve as a model for how to engage with suffering that makes no sense? With suffering that doesn't come from a misstep or something that you did, but what Job does is models the kind of wrestling it takes the kind of audacity and irreverence, the kind of grit and resilience it takes to know that you're not crazy and what you're experiencing is actually unreasonable and nonsensical. He shows us what it is to rise, to still believe in something, to hold your ground, to hear what is true, and to keep showing up and getting up when thing after thing after thing takes us out. The moral order so many of us seek to live by, that we expect the world and God to live by, sometimes gets out of order. Sometimes it's not enough to hear a theological answer. Well, that's just the presence of sin in the world. My God, even if that's true, 
Sometimes there's actually not an answer that provides any sort of meaning or relief when you are in the midst. But what Job does for us is shows us that even if there aren't words, he shows us the posture by which to engage. He shows us we will only be able to make meaning from some of the brutal things we experience in our lives when we wrestle it down. No one can do it for you. It is our own work with God to make sense of the things that just don't make sense. And in that, there is nothing that God can't hold. I think sometimes when we read those closing passages, excuse me, in, in the manner of, you know, God shutting Job down and silencing him, we come to the conclusion that we should hold our tongue or be really careful. And I'm not saying don't have reverence for God or don't be humble, but I am saying that God is absolutely big enough to hold your ugliest, most intense emotion, to hold your harshest accusations, all of it. And God will meet us there. Job shows us how to lament how to emote and get it out before God, which is the safest place for it. There is no shortage of nonsensical suffering happening in the world right now. I know what some of you are holding individually, and it's brutal. And it's against the backdrop of a pandemic of deep racial wounds, of uprising, of people unbelievably divided, of noisy and chaotic social media, an ever-increasing refugee crisis, an earth groaning in pain, of stupid amounts of uncertainty about what next week is going to look like, let alone what the holidays are going to look like, of big loss, of small loss, the loss of community, connection, touch, grief on grief on grief. That is the sentiment I've been saying over and over again. And I know, uh, you know, if, if I'm being honest, there are some moments where it feels like there is no rhyme or reason to this. Like not every moment, but enough. It just feels like how much more can we expand to hold the suffering of the world? Our hearts can only take so much. And so this morning, in an effort uh, to invite us corporately and, you know, individually um, to do that work of trying to make sense of things that don't make sense, um, we're going to be super practical about all of this, uh, because I believe that this practice that that Job models of lament, um, of honesty, is the most faithful act we can bring to God when it feels like it's too much. And uh, a note on that, I'm going to to bring, or I'm sorry, invite Jane Berg uh, after me to lead us in an exercise around lament. Um, And and I do just, I want to say something um, that I've heard multiple people say about 
comparative suffering and what I want this practice to hold. I know that many like myself are keenly aware of how good we have it. Um, I have a house, I have food, I'm employed, all these things. Um, and it, it is true that we are all grieving on some levels. And so I do want to just give permission to lament even little things. Um, they still have to come out of us and, and be expressed. So, um, yeah, in place of silence today, we're going to invite Jane to lead us in an exercise to make some space for that. Um, and, and before that, uh, I'd like to pray. God, um, thank you that you can hold it and that you can take it. And maybe in these next moments, in this next week, I just ask that you would be really clear about that. Before anything else, that you can hold it and that you are with. In your name we pray. Amen. We live in a time when it seems every day brings a new loss, a new pain. What we do with our loss and pain is very important. The most recent Psychology Today featured an article titled, The Grief and the Losses No One Talks About. As a country, we are not very good at grief, and the church is not much better. We much prefer positivity. How many times have you heard, if you have enough faith, your child will be healed, your husband will come home, you will get to keep the house? We silence people's suffering when we talk like that. Sometimes that is true. Often it is not, and we make it worse, driving the original pain underground. Psychologists are telling us that we can't move ahead until we name our pain. You can have great faith and many losses. Just name them. The loss to that rite of passage called graduation the loss of the job that fed your children, the loss of the chance to be with a loved one as they died, the loss in trust of the officer who just stopped you in traffic only because you had non-white skin color. The psalmist can teach us how to do this. It's called lament or I call lament railing on God, knowing that God can hold and even invites our most awful thoughts, our most unvarnished present thoughts about our pain. When we practice lament, I believe we are taking the first step on a path toward hope. I invite you to lament right now. I'm going to read a part of a lament in the 88th Psalm, and afterwards, as you hear the cello, give voice to your own lament, remembering that God holds with compassion even our harshest words. Psalm 88, 
14, 15, and 18. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors, and I am in despair. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. are going to enter into a time of communion. And so, uh, hear these words. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and blessed it and said, this is my blood, shed for you, Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. 
It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here for a long time or ever before, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come, not because the church invites you, but because Christ invites you to be known and to be fed here. As you take the bread, receive these words, the body of Christ broken for you. As you take the cup, receive these words, the blood of Christ shed for you. So as we close uh, this morning, uh, a couple of invitations. Um, After George Floyd was murdered in May, uh, we had our first physical, socially distanced gathering together where we created prayers of lament, art, a number of expressions of of the grief um, that we are all holding and posted it on the door. Um, And we had the idea we've you know heard how much people miss being even in the space or around the building so this week um, we are going to invite you uh, to take some time to create something physical as a representation of of that lament um, if, if that's something that that feels like uh, helpful in in response to do something physical with what you're holding internally um, so we're going to invite you, if, if you'd like, you can keep it for yourself, uh, but the other option is just whenever you'd like this week to stop by and to post it on the door. Um, we'll keep some thumbtacks right there. Uh, so again, um, it, it's an attempt to have some sort of physical and, and collective response, and we'll bring those in um, yeah, as the week progresses. So you're invited to do that, again, whenever you'd like. And the other piece, um, as I was writing this week and praying and thinking, um, there were just a number of people that that came to mind who have had to hold uh, some really hard things. And I know that I'm limited in the things that I know about, and um, I'm sure that there are some of you out there also holding heavy things that I, I don't know about. And I know that sometimes it's unfair to say, tell me about your pain. <laughs> um, but I, I just want to extend myself and, and this community, really, if you find yourself um, not wanting to hold it alone. And so um, we have a care team, both pastoral and practical, if meals um, would be helpful. We have a benevolence fund. If, if you are in need of anything, um, yeah, we, we want to be walking with you in that. Um, and the other piece is that if you find yourself in a position where you're wanting to make some meals or, or to support people in that way, um, we are always looking for more people to do that. Um, it deeply matters uh, when people show up for each other. I, I wish Job had better friends. 
Um, so again, if, if you find yourself in a position where you need some extra support or uh, you're in a position where you have a little extra, um, contact me, Jenna, at Awaken West 7th. And we say that knowing that uh, for those of you who might find yourself in, an, in a little bit of extra need, um, the truth is, is that at some point you'll find yourself on the giving end. So it's not pity. It's not charity. Um, we want it to be caring. So with that, I miss you. I love you. And receive these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakening community. Or on Twitter 